0: Well, hey there. My name is Pastor Tim, and you have found my podcast. I currently serve as the pastor of First United Methodist Church of Fort Pierce, Florida, and I'm so grateful to be able to connect with you in this way. This podcast is a collection of my sermons and teachings that I hope you will use to deepen and strengthen your connection with Jesus Christ so that you might go and transform the world around you. So, kick back, relax, and enjoy this week's episode. Well, I was just wondering have you ever, like, taken a new job or? move to a new town or just spend in any like new situation, take it a moment, looked around and thought to yourself, like, Man, this place is not my home. <laughs> I don't really belong here. It might have everything that you ever wanted, right? Anything that you could ever need, but there's just still something about this new place, this new situation that It's just not quite right. Heck, you might even call this new place home and not ever actually want to leave it. But some things just can't ever be replicated. So as you probably know, I'm not from this place. And I don't just mean Fort Pierce. I mean Florida. (laughs) Some of you might think this planet. But uh, I moved to, to Florida in 2011 from a, a small town called Philadelphia. Uh, you might have heard of it, the birthplace of life and liberty and the pursuit of happiness. You know, America. Yeah. Duh. And even though I m- moved here from Philadelphia, um, you know, I love Florida. And I'll tell you this, I, I genuinely love living in Fort Pierce. I I really do. Uh, You know, down here, I don't have to shovel snow. I don't have a separate closet for coats. I don't worry about cleaning out musty, dusty, flooded basements. I don't worry about any of that stuff that comes from dealing with sub-freezing temperatures. The, The sun shines here 365 days a year, all right? I'm never going back up there. I don't want to, but, but deep inside of me, Philadelphia is still a place that I call home. If someone asks me, hey, uh, where's home? My heart and my head goes to Philadelphia. You know, every time that I attempt to walk barefoot on this crabgrass razor blade hybrid stuff that you guys plant all over the ground here, I miss home. I miss a nice Kentucky bluegrass, rye, fescue mix that feels like a cloud that you could roll around in all day long and not come home with itchy skin (laughs) and fire ants. I I miss autumn. I miss the seasons changing. I miss the color of the trees in the fall. And I got to tell you, this baseball team that you people have. It's just, it's just never going to do for this lifelong Phillies fan, okay? I'm sorry. But none of that causes me to disparage, to dislike, or, or even want to ditch this place, right? I, I love it here, and uh, I've been called here for a purpose, and this is where God needs me to help fulfill the mission of Jesus in this world. But I think that the way that I feel about Philadelphia— And maybe the way that you feel about your hometown or maybe just the neighborhood on the other side of Fort Pierce that you grew up in. I think the way that that we feel about these places that that we grew up pulls on a subtle but persistent truth about the human experience. The truth is this. Regardless of where we find ourselves here on God's good green earth, we are not really at home. Because our true home our true home is in the coming kingdom of God. And so until then, we live as what the Bible calls exiles in this world. And so today, we are, we're going to discover what it means for us to, to live as exiles while we wait for Jesus to come and establish his kingdom forever. So we've been working through this sermon series called One Story here at First Church over the past five weeks, and we've been really looking at how the entire Bible is one story that leads to Jesus, and and we began by talking about how God created the world with the intention of it being a place that promotes and sustains life, but that humans have really messed that up and messed it up continually, right? But God set out on a program of recovering all that was lost, calling one family to himself and then tasking them with being people through whom he would bless the whole world. And this family, called Israel, would find themselves in captivity, slaves down in the land of Egypt. And God rescued them, created a covenant with them, saying, I will be your God. And you will be my people. He, he gave them the law, uh, a practical and ethical way of creating a society that promoted and sustained life. And then God gave them a land and a king. And finally, Israel was capable of living out their calling to bless the world by spreading God's life-promoting and life sustaining way of existing across the ancient world but if you've been kind of like following the theme of how this story goes um, you probably know that it's not going to go very well right it just it just never does for israel and that's where we find ourselves today so so israel's kings that they wanted so desperately are not very good at allowing god to be the ultimate authority in israel they They tend to forget the law, to start worshiping other gods, gods of the the surrounding nations. They adopt these practices of these nations around them that are in direct conflict with the way that God has taught them to live. And, And what happens is, rather than spreading God's influence outward, they become kind of this sponge that soaks up the influence of the world around them. And it doesn't go well for them. The nation uh, splits in half, a nation called Israel in the north and a nation called Judah in the south. And uh, the northern kingdom is eventually conquered mercilessly by the Assyrian Empire. And then several years later, in the year 587 BC, Jerusalem, the capital of Judah and the former capital of the United Kingdom of Israel, is besieged by the empire of Babylon, also referred to as the Chaldeans. And so what's happening where we're going to pick up the story today is is this final king of Judah is doing all kinds of evil stuff. And God is looking at this mess uh, in this world and trying to salvage this people, this kingdom that is supposed to carry his blessing. And so he keeps on sending them prophets to try and influence the king and the people and change the trajectory that they're on towards destruction. And the writer of the books of Chronicles kind of uh, dictates it in this way and and says this. This is 2 Chronicles chapter 36, verses 15 through 21. It says, The Lord, the God of their ancestors, sent persistently, to them by messengers, because he had compassion on his people and on his dwelling place. But they kept mocking the messengers of God, despising his words and scoffing at his prophets, until the wrath of the Lord against his people became so great that there was no remedy. Therefore he brought up against them the king of the Chaldeans, who killed their youths with the sword in the house of their sanctuary, and had no compassion on young men or young women. The aged or the feeble. And he gave them all into his hands. All the vessels of the house of God, large and small, and the treasures of the house of the Lord, and the treasures of the king and his officials, all of these he brought to Babylon. They burned the the house of God. They broke down the wall of Jerusalem. They burned all its palaces with fire and destroyed all its precious vessels. And he took into exile in Babylon those who had escaped from the sword. And they became servants to him and his sons until the establishment of the kingdom of Persia to fulfill the word of the Lord by the mouth of of Jeremiah until the land had made up for its Sabbaths. All the days that it lay desolate, it kept Sabbath to fulfill 70 years. And so there's a lot here, but the main point is that that God is pleading with these people continuously, like, stop all of this madness that you're engaging in. Like, you are destroying yourselves. You're destroying my kingdom. Turn back to me and reclaim your calling to carry my blessing and, and my ethic across the nations of this world. But the nation of Israel insists on continuing in evil, and so God allows Babylon, a quickly expanding and powerful empire to overtake them, to destroy their home, to destroy the temple, which is like God's little home among them, and carry them off into captivity once again. And so things are not good. Israel has found itself in exile. They're living in a foreign land. And And this is really, really far from the hope, from the the happy destiny that they had held close to their hearts since the days that God first showed up and spoke to their ancestor, Abraham. And so it leaves them begging the question amongst themselves, like, how are we supposed to live now? What are we supposed to do? Like, what, what even is life now? Has God deserted us? What is our purpose? Is there really... Any hope for us and it's here in this place of captivity this place of displacement this place where they live as prisoners of war that the people of Israel receive these instructions from the prophet Jeremiah which gives them their purpose in this particular season of their lives so this comes from uh, Jeremiah chapter 29. and says this, Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel to all the exiles whom I have sent into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Build houses and live in them. Plant gardens and eat what they produce. Take wives and have sons and daughters and take wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage that they may bear sons and daughters. Multiply there, and do not decrease. But Rather, seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile, and pray to the Lord on its behalf. For it is in its welfare you will find your welfare. So what we find here in these words of the prophet Jeremiah is really a general posture that God wants Israel to take during this particular season of their lives. But as you can imagine, uh, you know, people didn't take too kindly to being forcibly removed from their homes and transplanted in a foreign land. Especially not these people whose foundational story was rooted in their sufferings of their ancestors at the hands of Egyptian slavery and, and how their God loved them so much that he stepped in, rescued them, and redeemed them from their suffering. And so some of these Israelites wanted to outright revolt against their Babylonian captors. But some went the opposite extreme, and they wanted to just kind of throw off their religion, assimilate fully into Babylonian culture, which was fraught with all of the things that God is diametrically opposed to. Things like the worship of idols, the the worship of power, the worship of sex, the worship of money. But the words of Jeremiah give the Israelites a different way. God's plan was different. God's plan for them was a third way of existing in this world. A way of of living peacefully while keeping true to God and God's purposes for them in this world. Essentially, the way that God's people were meant to live while they were captive in Babylon was to live lives of loyalty and subversion. If you've ever read the book of Daniel, you can see this way of living most clearly. The book of Daniel details the rise and influence that a handful of Israelites had in the house of the king of Babylon. They displayed loyalty to the king and to their country up until the point where they were called to worship him. And it was at that point that they laid down their lives, and God saved them in a very public way, which brought the king of Babylon to an experience in which He recognized the the supremacy of the God of Israel. So that's all well and good, and that's just one little story of exile that really is encompassed within a larger framework that the entire Bible is trying to teach to us. You see, when God first created the world and placed humans within it, they were given really three main tasks. Look after the garden, which is your home that I've created for you. Be fruitful and multiply and walk with God. But humans really messed up and were exiled from the garden, kicked out. But these three main tasks that that God had given to them never changed. And if you remember all the way back to our first week of this series humans continue to fail over and over again, all culminating in this climactic scene at a place called Babel, a place also known as Babylon, where human iniquity was dealt with by God, who spread people across the whole world. And then out of that place, that very place, Babylon, God called Abraham, And this entire Israel project began. And so humans have really been dealing with exile from the very beginning of our story. Exile from the garden, which led to this place called Babylon. And Babylon is like this biblical way of talking about and referring to the anti kingdom of God. There's the kingdom of God, which is this place that spreads God's life promoting and life sustaining goodness. And then there's the kingdom of Babylon which spreads the opposite. It spreads the love of power and the worship of anything other than God across the world. And so what human sin at the very beginning of your Bible leads to is this place called Babylon. And God calls a family out of Babylon to create a new kingdom, the people called Israel. But Israel's sin leads them right back to Babylon. And to most, especially to those who lived it, it would seem that God's plan had failed. That the kingdom of Babylon had won. That the kingdom of God had been defeated. Until you read those words of Jeremiah, and you remember God's original plan for humans. Keep and see to the welfare of the garden. Be fruitful and multiply and walk with God. And and God says through the prophet Jeremiah, he says, plant gardens and see to the welfare of the city. Sounds a lot like keeping the garden to me. He says, take wives and have sons and daughters and make sure they have sons and daughters and be fruitful and multiply, right? He says to them, pray to the Lord or walk with God in this season. Do you, do you see what's happening here? The, the vocation of humans has, has never changed. Regardless of how far from home these people called Israel have gone, God's calling on the lives of God's people has not changed. The kingdom of God can and will persist within the midst of exile because it really always has. And so the hope for Israel was, of course, that they would once again end up back in their home. But the purpose of God was for them to recommit and reconnect with their purpose to create life-promoting and life-sustaining pockets of God's kingdom, wherever they were. And so, from within the midst of this vile empire, the people of God thrived. And they softened the hearts of the kings of Babylon and then the kings of Persia until they were allowed to return home. But when they got home, things still weren't really good for two real reasons. The first reason being that their problem actually came back with them because their problem always was them and their hearts. But the secondary reason was that this place wasn't really theirs anymore. Israel continued to live in the shadow of empire after empire. Babylon, Persia, Greece, and then Rome. You see, God's people never really returned from the exile. They found, rather, that they were exiles in their own land. They they waited and they wondered, would God ever restore the kingdom to Israel? See, they hoped and they prayed for a Messiah to come. And then they waited for 400 years. Until Jesus was born in the most unlikely of ways, right in the middle of the mess of this world. And as an adult, Jesus lived his life as a perpetual exile. He he had no home. But rather, he wandered around speaking truth into the universal human experience. And that experience is this, that no place really feels like home. Regardless of how much we have or or how much we accomplish, we are inevitably left feeling alone and alienated. And that's because we are still exiled. But Jesus announced that that there was a home. A home that all people were invited to become a part of. A home called the kingdom of God. And what Jesus and what Jeremiah and what God in the garden all understood about the kingdom of God was that it is a place that can and does exist in the midst of exile. And the way to get there is through Jesus. Jesus the way, the truth, and the life, to to declare our allegiance to him, make him the Lord of our lives, and then follow in his example of self-giving love and life-giving hope. See, home is what we create together when we live out those three purposes together, to to see to the welfare of the, the messy neighborhoods, towns, states, countries, and world that we live in, To be fruitful and multiply ourselves as Christians through evangelism and discipleship and to walk with God together. Keeping Jesus as the guiding light and the driving force behind our lives. And you know, I know that this is true because as much as I I love Philadelphia and I call Philadelphia my home, um, the place never satisfies. I lived my entire life dreaming about getting out of that dump. Thinking that it was the problem. Then I moved to Florida and lo and behold, the problem moved with me. Because everywhere I went, there I was. My heart was the problem. But when Jesus got a hold of that thing and got a hold of my life, it was like I felt like I was home for the very first time. So I don't know where you're at in all of this. Maybe you're still trying to find a place to call home. You're, you're still looking at your life backwards or forwards, living in the, the I should have done this or I should have done that, or, or if only this could happen, then I would feel whole and then I would feel home. If you're still just seeking a place to call home in the midst of this world, and, and maybe you're tired. Maybe this world has beaten you down. And if that's, if that's you, then know that, that Jesus, Jesus sees you, and Jesus is calling you home just like he called those home in the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 11. He said, come to me all you that are weary and carrying heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. Let me be the one to tell you that 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 rest, the rest that Jesus gives you, is a rest that you'll never want to let go of. It's a release from all of the constant discontent that you have with the world and with yourself. It's a a rest that will allow you to, to finally find a place worth calling home, a place that you can find and live in all of the days of your life, regardless of where you find yourself physically in this world. But as for us as a church, I know where we are in all of this. It it doesn't take a keen observer to see that we are located in a place that has been beaten down and battered by darkness. Yeah, there might be some nice things happening like just over there on the other side of US 1. But none of that is translating to the good life over here on the west side. Over here, we are deep in the midst of a land filled with all of the things that we pray and hope that our children will never grow up to see and experience. We live in what the best of what the kingdom of Babylon has to offer this world. Addiction, poverty, prostitution, homelessness, violence, you name it, we got it. And then there's us. And others like us. Little slices Of God's kingdom sitting in the midst of all of that mess. We're here. We're living in exile. But the question is how do we as a church live the way of the exile? How do we live in a a loyal but subversive way here on our side of the railroad tracks? How do we live out our mandate to see to the welfare of our city, to, to be fruitful and multiply disciples and to walk with God over here? Well, you got one part right, at least. He said plant a garden, right? But I think that it really starts with opening our eyes and our hearts to seeing our town, our, our little district here for what it actually is. Seeing it as an opportunity rather than a threat. Seeing our neighbors as people who just need some hope. As people who need an invitation to just just come on home. And then after we see them, we we need to create a space that that allows them to flourish. We need a, a means of helping people meet their physical needs as well as their spiritual needs. We need to follow the direction of the Holy Spirit in discerning how we are called to bring fellow exiles home. Because church, I I deeply believe that this is our purpose, that this is our true calling and identity for ourselves here in the midst of the city of Fort Pierce. I I believe with my whole heart that, that we have been called to be a beacon of hope to those who are suffering all around us. See, I believe that we have deep, deep roots here and that the branches of our influence are just waiting to shoot out and provide shade and rest for those who are scorched and weary in and around our neighborhood. We are being called to live the way of the exile, to see to the welfare of our city, to to transform lives and to take People by the hand as we walk together with God towards a place called home. You see, this is the way of the exile. This is the way of Jesus. So come, let's follow together. Would you pray with me, God? We seek to understand Your will for us. We're glad that you have given us a place to feel home in our hearts. and We just ask that you, the God of the exiles, the God of the downtrodden, the God of those who are oppressed and left behind, that, that you would show us how to be the people who look, who see, and who invite those whom you are desperately calling back to come home. So, God, we ask that while we, we want you to give us eyes and hearts that see the world around us, we pray that your, your grace would go out, that a, a hedge of protection would be on this town. That through the still, soft, but persistent voice of your Holy Spirit, you would, you would speak into the darkness of the lives of, of those around us those who are experiencing the worst that this world has to offer them. Those who who live in the kingdom of of Babylon, not even knowing that the kingdom of God not only exists, but is is right here in the midst of them, calling them home, creating a place where, where those who hunger and thirst for righteousness can find your love. place where where those whom you have called your church, your children, are waiting with open arms to welcome the weary and the lost back into your loving arms. So God, we pray that, that you would do miraculous things in the hearts of not only us, but in those who surround our church, who need your hope and your grace in their lives that you would prepare them to see and be known in the kingdom of God. That you would let them know that they are already seen, known, and called by name by you, Jesus Christ, the Most High God. God, we love you and we thank you for the cross that made us possible. Thank you for the resurrection that made our lives worth living. We just ask that you would show us how to bring that good news to the world around us. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.